and welcome to the Breathe Easy Nursing Podcast. My name is Lauren Castro, Web Director for the Nursing Assembly. In these podcasts, we speak directly to leading clinicians and researchers and ask them to share their perspective on topics related to nursing, pulmonary, and critical care. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by Dr. Linda Klein and Dr. Annie Heiderscheidt, who will lead today's podcast on music listening to help critically ill patients managing their anxiety. Dr. Klein is the Associate Dean of Nursing at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. She is also the immediate past chair of the Assembly on Nursing for ATS. Her program of research over the past 20 years has focused extensively on symptom science testing interventions to empower critically ill, mechanically ventilated patients to appropriately self-manage their anxiety associated with a stressful experience. Along with Dr. Heiderscheidt, their multidisciplinary research team has generated the foundational evidence on music listening to reduce anxiety and sedative exposure among mechanically ventilated ICU patients. Dr. Heiderscheidt is the Director of Music Therapy and Associate Professor at Augsburg University in Minneapolis, Minnesota. She has almost 30 years experience as a board certified music therapist and two decades of experience researching music listening and music therapy to improve patient treatment processes and outcomes. In collaboration with Dr. Klein, she has been a part of the multidisciplinary team that has developed the music listening protocols and the research evidence behind them to meet and address patient care needs. So welcome also Dr. Annie Heiderscheidt. Thank you, Lauren. It's great to be here. Yes, awesome. So thank you so much for taking your time uh, during this uh, busy world that we're living in of COVID-19 and sharing this information with the ATS community um, and others beyond. We think that this is an important topic and very timely to get out. So let's go ahead and jump in. Great. Um, tell us, how can music be helpful in this setting? Yeah. So um, what's really helpful to understand, and I think most of us as human beings have experienced listening to music. We listen to it at many different points in our day. And so we can certainly listen to music at our leisure. We can listen to music with great intention, and it can serve uh, many different functions for us. Um, and I think it's helpful if we recognize that there is music listening, listening that we can do at any time in any place as well as differentiating between what music therapy is. And they are two different things. Again, music is accessible so we can listen and it has many benefits. Music therapy is really the specific implementation and it's the work using music within the therapeutic relationship um, with a client and a music therapist. So I wanna spend a little bit more time talking about music listening, but I think it's important that we recognize there is this difference between when we're using music listening and that can have some great health and therapeutic benefits for us. Um, that is simply music listening, not music therapy, because the therapy refers to that happening within a therapeutic relationship. But we can use music to impact our health and well-being in many different ways. Music can foster the sense of relaxation it can be a means of distraction, and we can use it to improve sleep. Um, because of elements that are inherent within music, like rhythm, um, and our body has inherent rhythm in it, we can use the rhythms in music to impact the rhythms of the body. So when we have a stress response, and our heart rate speeds up, our breathing rate speeds up, we can listen to music at slower tempos, 
to help slow down the rhythms of the body. The body will work to synchronize or entrain with those slower rhythms and help to foster that relaxation response. And the same thing with sleep. Um, if we are going to sleep with a lot of stressful and anxious thoughts on our mind that will create a stress response, um, we can use music not only to put our focus there and distract from those thoughts, but also to slow down the body and slow down the brainwave patterns to help us get into our deepest, our delta rhythm, our slowest brainwave pattern, which is where our deepest sleep happens. Um, so music is serving multiple functions um, in how it can help us. And so it's music listening can be this wonderfully effective tool that we have easily at our disposal. That's great. Thank you, Annie. And it's, it's wonderful to hear how something that's readily available can have those, those results. And Linda, can you tell us a little bit more about the research behind music listening? Sure. Happy to, Lauren. I would like to build on some of the points that Annie pointed out uh, with music listening, specifically for critically ill patients many years ago, so more than 20 years ago, I, I was always challenged at the bedside in caring for mechanically ventilated patients in the ICU to help them manage the profound anxiety and distress that's experienced when one is receiving mechanical ventilation. So I'm not going to go into much detail about all the various causes and contributors to anxiety associated with mechanical ventilation in the ICU. But we know that pharmacological interventions, sedatives, opioids are, there is a time and a place for those medications. But what I found in my practice was that these medications did not adequately reduce anxiety among mechanically ventilated patients. So I scoured the literature uh, looking for were there other interventions that perhaps I was missing to help patients manage their anxiety. And I happened to come up upon the literature that demonstrated listening to relaxing slow tempo music, as Annie pointed out. So our research team conceptualizes that as 60 to 80 beats per minute, simple compositions, uh, not much change in tone and rhythm over the course of the music listening piece. I found that was there was a, a reasonable evidence base that music decreased anxiety among patients in procedural settings, so during a bronchoscopy, endoscopy, those types of procedures. Actually, our dental colleagues have done some of the really seminal foundational work, I would say, using music not only to distract a, a dental patient's attention from the dental procedure that needs to be done, but it was also very effective in reducing the symptom of anxiety, which as I mentioned previously is very profound among critically ill patients. 
And very interestingly, there were a few studies that documented the reduction in anxiety from listening to relaxing music among coronary care unit patients. So these were not mechanically ventilated patients. Helen Bonnie was one of the uh, first scientists, really, to write about her own personal experiences using music when she had the experience of cardiovascular bypass surgery. So she brought music with her throughout her hospital stay, and she documented how beneficial this was for her. It was very powerful to help her in recovering. So I thought to utilize that fairly sound evidence base to determine whether or not a music listening intervention may be safe, acceptable, and effective in reducing anxiety among critically ill mechanically ventilated patients. So that's kind of a long uh, basis. But the point that I want to make to the listeners of this podcast is that music is one of those non-pharmacological interventions that actually has quite a significant scientific basis. And I, I recognize my music therapy colleagues who have the training and the disciplinary perspective to utilize those foundational principles in rhythm, tone, all those aspects of music how can we best utilize form, function, rhythm to best benefit patients? So the beauty of music listening among critically ill patients is that it's a low burden intervention, does not cause additional side effects. We know that there are several necessary procedures, interventions in the ICU that actually impacts patients in a negative manner. So I was always very, very keen on ensuring that a non-pharmacological intervention is low burden, does not cause any more adverse side effects in patients. So over the years, our team has conducted a number of studies. Probably our most impactful paper was published seven years ago in the Journal of the American Medical Association, we were the first multidisciplinary research team that conducted an efficacy trial enrolling 373 patients from five intensive care units, so a very heterogeneous mechanically ventilated patient population, both medical ICUs and surgical ICUs, and we documented that patients who listen to relaxing music that was all designed by our colleague, Dr. Annie Heiderscheid, as a board-certified music therapist, to meet those conceptual definitions of 60 to 80 beats per minute relaxing music. We modeled our protocol after patient-controlled analgesia concepts that have a long history in the literature, 
of decreasing pain, enhancing satisfaction. So we were interested in, could we model a protocol similar to PCA for patient-controlled music listening, which we call patient-directed music listening intervention, to empower patients to self, self-initiate listening to relaxing specifically tailored to their preferences whenever they wanted for as long as they wanted throughout their time on the ventilator for up to 30 days. So really significant impact on patients, significant reductions of anxiety over time, as well as a reduction in sedative exposure throughout their time being mechanically ventilated. So the the key point here is that we can reduce anxiety in a highly controlled research study with specially selected tailored music using the, the expertise of the board certified music therapist while reducing exposure to potent sedative medications. So I think that is very impactful. And then a couple of years ago, we actually published a paper that documented this type of intervention actually is cost effective, due mostly to the fact that those patients randomized to patient-directed music listening actually were extubated sooner than patients in our control conditions. Anything you would like to add, Annie? No, I think that's a great summary. I feel like that's a great segue <laughs> to the next question, too. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, so moving moving on then, um, tell us, Annie, how, how would you go about selecting the music? Well, it sounds like that, you know, based on what you've both said, that there's um, some science to this, and so that's, I think, an interesting thing to hear, but it seems that also it, it can be done by um, maybe in collaboration with a professional like yourself, but maybe also... Uh, that a nurse could have a role in this as well. You know, one of the one of the questions that people often ask me is, what music should people listen to to help mm-hmm. them relax? Sure. And you know, there there are certainly some um, guidelines and recommendations in that we know that certain rhythms will help to slow down the body through the synchronization and entrainment of those you know, those rhythms in the music to the rhythms in the body. Um, and with that said, what we listen to is really subjective as well. Um, so if you could imagine, um, if, if I'm just telling people this is what you have to listen to, um, you know, any of us would have kind of like, oh, but I might not like it. And none of us um, is going to respond positively to music we don't like or we don't prefer. And if you even are aware of of your own listening habits, um, we don't always listen to the same music. We might listen to something different in the morning than we might in the evening, or we might make choices based on our mood. Um, So it is very subjective. So what is important is that the music that we're using, and, you know, it's really, uh, I think, a critical piece into the results in the study that we received, it was the music was their preferred music. 
And I, as we, as um, Linda was just talking, it, it brought to mind um, a patient who was enrolled in the study. And I remember when I came in to meet with him, introduced myself, and I said, I, I'd like to know what music you enjoy listening to. And he looked, he kind of looked at me, he's ventilated, so he couldn't speak clearly, but he looked at me like, I highly doubt you're going to bring me what I want. <laughs> um, and I could, just tell, challenge, right? <laughs> I could tell from the expression that he didn't trust that what I was saying is what I was going to do. And so I, you know, talked through, got his preferences, came back the next day with the music he had asked for. And he, he looked at me with surprise, like, you actually did what you said you were going to do. And so once that happened, then he just continued to give me more music and more music of what he liked. Because I think, again, you know, when patients come into the hospital, they're used to getting what they get because they're getting what treatment, you know, is standard. Um, and here I was saying, I'm going to bring you what, you prefer. Um, and so preferred music is what we will respond to best because um, it's what it's what we enjoy the most. And so even between the three of us on this podcast, we won't all have the same music preferences and we don't need to. Um, we can use music from different genres, but for relaxation, to slow the rhythms of the body, we're looking for music between 60 and 80 beats a minute. Um, and we can find that in music of different genres. It doesn't have to just be um, some um, new age music or some classical music. We can find music um, of different genres in this range of beats per minute. For sleep, because the rhythms of the body and the brainwave patterns are even slower, then we're looking for music between 40 to 60 beats a minute. And that's because our delta rhythm, that brainwave pattern that moves us into our deepest sleep, is 40 to 60 beats a minute. So we're moving into a deeper state of relaxation, which means we need rhythms that are even slower. Um, those can be a little more challenging to find in music, 40 to 60 beats a minute, but there is music out there. We look at Largo movements in classical music are, um, you know, usually between the 40 to 60 beats per minute. Um, 60 beats per minute is a good resting heart rate. And so, you know, if we look, um, you know, it's really what we're aiming for is that slow, good resting heart rate, and then moving even a little bit deeper in that to get to that um, deeper sleep state. But one of the other pieces, and, and this is one of the things that I love about music, um, and I'm certainly biased as a music therapist. But so we're using music not only as this means to relax the body, but while that is happening, it's simultaneously serving as a means of distraction. So while we might be in this critical care environment where it's very um, anxiety producing and very stressful, if we are listening to music, it can pull our focus away from what's going on around us. It's distracting us. So not only is the music there supporting this relaxation response, but it's serving as this means of distraction at the same time. And so it's one of the beauties of what music can do. It can do both and simultaneously. Um, and I think that's um, a, a wonderful part of it. And it's then an enjoyable experience 
for patients as well. And so, I mean, as Linda touched on earlier, it, it isn't that it's either we use music or pharmacology, it isn't the either or, it is the both and, but we can see as we can help patients ma maintain or you know, manage and decrease anxiety with music, they may need less medication and, um, and we can empower them in that process and, and hopefully um, move their recovery along a little bit faster and have fewer negative side effects from the medication if we can reduce some of that with the use of the music. So as I advocate the use of music, I'm not seeing this and not this, you know, music and no medication. Um, it can be the both and, and I think then what we're seeing in our research is improving outcomes for patients. And ideally, that's what I love to see as a music therapist. How do we improve the patient's experience in the hospital as well as their outcome in the hospital? That's great. And I really like to hear what you're saying, Annie, about that, that sense of giving patients some autonomy, which I think is often missing, of course, in the, in the hospital setting for yeah. patients. So that's really great. And almost you can see the analogy, like you were saying, of, you know, if we think of this as a treatment and we think often in the pharmacological world of what is the mechanism of action of a treatment and, you know, what you've just summarized almost sounds like a, you know, just like that and that it does have multiple mechanisms of action um, and outcomes that are coming from it. So I think that's a, that's a really helpful um, paradigm to think about. Linda, in, in your experience, what can you share with us about how does, I can see people thinking, you know, this all sounds great, but I work in a busy ICU and there's all kinds of commotion. So how do, how do we actually, you know, uh, operationalize this and make it so that it's uh, feasible for patients to do this music listening in an ICU setting? Sure, happy to address that question, Lauren. I I personally advocate the use of headphones, hopefully noise-canceling headphones, because the headphone, particularly those that fit over the entire ear, are very effective at blocking out some of the extraneous ICU noises, so a patient can just just focus on the sound that's coming through the headphones in the form of hopefully familiar, preferred, relaxing music. So they can let their mind wander in the music. And as Annie described previously, in addition to those physiological strengths and components of music. Music is also very powerful psychological intervention uh, with psychological benefits, such as refocusing that attention on the pleasing sound of the music rather than focusing on anxiety-producing thoughts that might be rolling around in someone's mind due to the fact that they're critically ill in an intensive care unit. However, keep in mind that not all patients like wearing headphones. Uh, some patients find them uh, too confining, too tight, so there may be opportunity for earbuds. I do caution playing music 
just free field in the environment because sound travels. And we know that even patients who appear to be unresponsive can still hear sounds in the environment and they remember those sounds and conversations and other types of noise perhaps. And some of that can be very distressful to patients as they're recovering. I also want listeners of this podcast keep in mind that you do need to be very, very careful with volume and to test volume and ensure that it's not too loud for a patient to cause any hearing problems or that it's not so low that uh, the music is not being able to be taken in by the patient. That's great. And Linda, just one uh, one clarification: when you're um, in your in your suggestions, were people doing this around the clock, or was this a certain number of hours on a on a given day in the unit, or what, what experience do you have with that? Happy to clarify that, Lauren. Our previous efficacy trial, the patient-directed music intervention efficacy trial, the idea was that patients would self-initiate listening to music whenever, and that was truly around the clock. How we tracked that, we had data loggers on our music listening equipment that captured and time-stamped when the headphones were put on and when they were taken off. So this study was conducted several years ago, and technology has changed quite a bit now. But this was a way that we could obtain an objective measure of how long each patient listened to music while they were enrolled in the study. And very interesting, because we could see the time and date stamps on these data loggers, it was always fascinating from a scientific perspective to look back at the data and see when patient X listened to music. And what interesting in some patients, um, you know, prior to COVID-19, most ICUs had open visitation policies. But there were still at that time, there were very few family members staying overnight in the ICU. So what we found was that sort of that late evening after 9 p.m., perhaps when the activity, perhaps the activity in the ICU maybe was slowing down a little bit or the visitors had departed for the day, we saw there was an uptick in the listening to music. And very interesting anecdotal comments that we received from patients through the form of note writing. I was fearful when my family member left me. I found that listening to the music provided comfort to me during the night. And Annie had also put together uh, a number of specific music tracks specifically for that 40 to 60 beat per minute to help patients relax so they could get some sleep. And we also received comments from patients, best best night of sleep I've had in a long time. 
so many, many benefits uh, that were documented in this study. Great. And uh, Annie, on that note, what suggestions do you have uh, for folks on the best way of accessing music? What options yeah. are out there? Well, you know, the great thing is music is more accessible than it ever used to be. And so that that is this wonderful tool. Um, a lot of patients may even come in or um, have, a, have a device that they have music on it or their family members may be able to bring in something that has music on it. And I, and I understand at this time when patients' families are not allowed in the ICU, um, this is a different time that we're living in. But, but so many patients have, have a mobile device that has music on it. And of course, you can imagine that what do we all have on our mobile devices but our preferred music. Um, so it makes it easy to um, access some of that. But there are also platforms, um, if, if that isn't available, um, I, you know, even when we were in the midst of the study, if I had a patient who couldn't communicate with me, I would contact the family and find out what their music preferences are. And that's certainly an option to talk with family members to find out what a, what a patient's preferences are. Um, and do they have access to those that they can make available for use with the patient? So those are always kind of the first place I begin in the process. Um, and that if those aren't possibilities, there are certainly platforms where music is being streamed, like Spotify, or if we go to NPR, they have streams. Now, some of those come with costs um, to be able to access those. Um, but they can, you know, provide an option for listening to music and listening to music that's designed um, to foster that sense of relaxation and that can provide um, that distraction for patients as well. So there is a variety of options to be able to use um, that, that allow us to kind of practice within um, copyright laws as well so that we aren't violating copyright laws of music, but accessing it appropriately is, a, is an important part of that. So whether it's making use of what a patient already has on their own devices or making use of some of these platforms where music can be live streamed are, are other great options as well. Um, so either of those are, are great platforms to make use of um, in, in kind of the immediate time. And if there is a music therapist working within the healthcare system, they can certainly help in navigating that process too, helping to put together some music um, for patients as well. But all of those would be great options to explore. Um, and some of that may depend on just what are, what are budget options that are available. Is it possible to um, have a membership or make, make these things available? Um, patients may already have their own membership to some of these and they can access those while they're in the hospital as well. That's great, okay. And uh, Linda, anything else that you'd like to add to that? I would just like to piggyback on a few of Annie's comments. Uh, currently, we do not recommend that any healthcare provider force this type of intervention on a patient. Yes, it's very beneficial. However, simply ask a patient a simple yes and no question. So currently we recommend this type of non-pharmacological intervention should 
only be used with patients who are alert enough to shake their head yes or no. Mm -hmm. So simply asking, would you like to listen to some music? Yes or no. One, one topic at a time. Mm -hmm. May I put these headphones on you? Here is some relaxing music that other patients have found helpful. So that uh, we, we need to be concerned about the patient's safety. We all have musical memories and we may have positive memories with a piece of music or we may have very negative, distrustful memories from a piece of music. So it's incredibly important that we inquire with patients who are alert enough to answer a yes, no question. Mm -hmm. And Nia, is there anything you would like to add? Yeah, I, I want to just follow up with that because what I find is this empowering patients to have a choice is important for so many reasons. Um, not only for them to, to communicate what it is that's helpful to them and not helpful to them and to be able to indicate what they like, what they don't like with regards to music. Um, but it is a place where we can give patients a choice. There are many aspects in their critical care that they do not have the opportunity to have choice. And this is certainly a place where they can exercise choice. And I think to not underestimate the importance of that um, and to respect a patient's knowledge of their own preferences is a really important piece in that, too. That's great. And as we wrap up here, if, uh, you know, I think many clinicians listen to our, to um, these podcasts, and so if people are saying, you know, I'm working in this setting and I'm a physician or I'm a nurse or, you know, uh, other healthcare provider and this seems like it could help my patients, What's the appropriate starting point for somebody that might think that this could help the patients that they're taking care of? I would say first read, read the research. Read through the research. Um, there are certainly, you know, several very strong studies out there. Um, I would say you can reach out to us with questions. I'm always happy to talk to people and support them in the process. Um, if someone is in an area where they're like, you know what, I'd like to even consult a music therapist, um, you can go to the American Music Therapy Association and you can even search for a music therapist in your area. So you could find someone in the area if you wanted to do some consultation. Um, and you can, I won't volunteer Linda, but I will volunteer myself. You can, you can certainly reach out to me um, with questions, but I would say, Read the research so you understand um, that, uh, you know, the science behind this, the protocols behind this. Um, it is not simply just putting on headphones and I'm going to have the patient listen to what I like because I like it and it relaxes me. Um, sure. It's not a safe assumption because we all like different things. But read the research and reach out with questions. There are certainly people who can be supportive and helpful um, so that you don't have to just kind of guess along the way and, and throw a dart in the dark and hope you, hope you hit the target, so to speak. Mm -hmm. 
That's great. Okay, and we will um, include a, a link on the website to uh, several of the articles that you all have described. Those will be available and, of course, can also be searched uh, on PubMed or, or other platforms that many people have access to. Great. So I just want to say thank you again to both of you for sharing your expertise and taking time out uh, in this COVID world that we're all living in uh, to, to share this important topic. Um, and we will look forward to um, sharing this and to, to hearing from people that might have any que questions, as you mentioned, Annie, uh, to feel free to reach out. And that contact information is also on the website. So thank you again so much. And uh, here's to all of us moving forward and continuing to do the very best that we can for our patients. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity, Lauren. Yes. Very good.